You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today, it is a mailbag day for the first time this season. The Pacers have four days off in between games. They haven't played since last Thursday when they beat the Pistons. They don't play again until tomorrow when they play the Heat for the third time this season. Huge opportunity for them to finally get some rest uh, and relaxation in between games. I mean, they haven't really had a time off like this all season ever, really. I mean, the last time they had a big gap, uh, Karis LeVert talked about, was an all-star break last season. So we'll see where this team can go from here. Uh, Rick Carlisle back in practice after being in COVID protocols last week. This is uh, his first practice was on Sunday, so lots to get to for this team. But today we're doing a mailbag because there's all that time off. So uh, fielded nine questions from Twitter, uh, and we'll talk about those today. So let's just jump right into it. All right, first up here is a question from Gidge at Big Indiana Dad, who says, how can the Pacers best utilize Karis LeVert, keep him as a starter, move him to the bench, one of those two? Also, what should his role be on offense when he is playing? I think Levert's fine as a starter. Like I understand, uh, you know where the the overlap can feel like it exists between Levert and Brogdon, and especially when Warren comes back, that this becomes a little more of a discussion. But Warren as well, we haven't seen Levert and Warren play together ever, right? So seeing how those two guys, who are both definitely best utilized as a play finisher or a ball handler who can attack kind of on secondary creation together, how they fit is kind of awkward. And I don't know that we've seen that yet. It's kind of hard to make any assumptions or decisions about that but right now with the team the Pacers have I think he's fine as a starter like I think having secondary creators next to your primary guy which is Brogdon and then your you know Sabonis is so unique like you can't even call him a primary or secondary creator I feel like but he can create shots as well for basically anybody on the strong side action with his screening with his passing whatever he happens to be doing so Lavert Brogdon Sabonis all fit together well enough offensively and that trio has been good this year that I think he should start. But what should his role be? You know, his usage rate this year is pretty high, just shy of 27%, which is pretty crazy. Uh, last year, for the record, remember, he finished the last, like, 10 to 15 games of the season as basically the Pacers' only ball handler. Turner was out, Warren was out, uh, Brogdon was out for, like, all of April, basically. He had a 27.9% usage with the Pacers last year. In those circumstances, 26.4 this year. So I think he has the ball... A little more than he honestly should this year. You know, his field goal attempts are up around 15, uh, despite playing four minutes less than last year uh, as well. So I think his role should be like attacking off of holes in the defense already created by another action. He can be the initiator. He's good at it every so often. I think he's good as a backup point guard, right? He's flashed that recently with Wanamaker out, averaging five assists per game in his last five games. So there is a role for him that makes sense in that way, but it's really just... I think he needs to be a little bit more secondary creator used and less primary creator used because he definitely gets some tunnel vision. Uh, and when he, you know, he, there are games where he just doesn't look to pass at all. And that, that makes Brogdon a lot worse because then Brogdon's playing off ball but never getting the ball right. So th- there is a way for him to be the ball handler who creates for others. That role is there for him. It was there last year, albeit they had fewer guys available to play alongside him when it was happening. That's the role I think makes the most sense for him. We haven't really seen that this year. Um, is kind of a blend of those two where he's sometimes the point guard who initiates stuff, but more often the secondary guy who breaks down an already damaged defense. But what he's doing right now isn't so bad. I just think he can't make anything and he gets too tunnel vision. If he could just zoom out and pass out of the lane a few more times every game, 
and play the same role he's playing right now, he'd look twice as effective. And he's passing a lot recently. Lo and behold, this is one of the best couple-week stretches of his entire season, including his best scoring game of the season last Thursday against Detroit. So I think what they're doing right now is pretty good, uh, but not necessarily perfect. All right, for everyone's favorite thing, the first trade question, Elliot Beaver at Beaver Elliot says, who are your top three teams each that should be looking to acquire Domas, Miles, Lamb, and Karras individually? Well, I'm stupid, and when prepping for this question, I only read about Karras, Miles, and Domas. I'll be coming up with these Lamb answers on the fly. My Karras answers, uh, my first one was the Cavs. They've been kind of my most natural fit for all of time. Uh, the Sexton's out for the season. Their backup guards are good. Still, Rubio has been great for them. Darius Garland is awesome, but those guys are more point guards and not the guy who can be the secondary breakdown, the defense guy, and that's kind of where they've been lacking. Chetty Osman playing a lot of minutes for them as a ball handler off the bench. Denzel Valentine as well. Like, Harris is better than both those guys. They Those two combined for 39 minutes in the Cavs last game, and only 12 for Valentine and Chetty's been okay this year, but Karras is definitely an upgrade over both of those guys who could take some pressure off of the ball handlers they already have. I like that fit very well for them as a either as their last starter because Isaac Okoro starts at the two a lot, and he is excellent. His defense is awesome, but Karras would give them a different dimension offensively or a guy who, going back to the first question, can come off the bench and relieve pressure for whatever units he's with as a secondary attacker because they have some great screeners and shooters on that Cavs team. They're just, I think, one more ball handler away from being really serious because they're th- third in the East. The Cavs beat the Bucks, and they are now third in the East, which is absolutely crazy. I mean, acquiring more talent is definitely where, they'll be, where their heads will be if they stay that way as the trade deadline approaches. My second Karras team is also a Lamb team. That's the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they have just been decimated by injuries this year, yet they are sixth in the West still uh, as of the Lakers' loss a few hours ago. So, you know, they clearly could make a push, and, and Jokic is amazing enough to carry any team across the line. But with so many guys out, a guy like Karras or even Lamb, who Lamb struggled in general defensively, but a guy who can just give them some punch, man. They really need something like that. Their last game, they destroyed the Hawks, who are really struggling. And their backup guards in that game, Bone Thailand, a rookie who has played well. Facundo Campazzo, love Campazzo, good passer, decent defender, but you'd rather have Karras than him for sure and maybe Lamb. Uh, and, and Austin Rivers, right? Like You could definitely get more from Karras than all those guys, and Lamb is a maybe there, but they could get Lamb for like nothing. And I think for a team that's injured in the sixth seed, giving up nothing to get something helpful may be more interesting to them than you know spending actual stuff to get Levert, who might not be as good of a fit next year when a lot of their guys are back. But I like that fit still. And then the Pelicans are my sneaky Levert team that I've been thinking about recently. Some reporting recently that they might try to be buyers, right? And that is seemed a little strange to me at first, but then you look and they're really not that far away, only two and a half games from the play-in right now, right? And let's say Zion comes back at some point and they're going to be looking really good at that point. They're definitely playing better recently, five and five in their last 10 games. That's of the play-in and down teams, the best in the West Sins, the Houston Rockets somehow, Right, so they definitely have the ability with their current team to make a push. If they had a guy like Levert who could actually dribble and score for them, I mean, their backup guards now, Garrett Temple in that guard rotation, Sadoransky, Alexander Walker's good, but you know, he's a young player as well with a lot of warts. Like, I think they could get a lot out of Levert as well. So those three stick out for me as Karras teams, both as either a spark plug kind of creator type or a play finisher on a team that has some good creators but not quite there. Lamb's a little tougher. Because a lot of the reasons the Pacers would trade him are less about teams that would want him and more about salary situations. Like the Grizzlies have so many good salaries to trade Lamb for. I've thought about that so often. So that is theoretically one if the Clippers remain in the fifth spot. Basically with Lamb, I'm thinking of 
contending-ish teams that don't have a lot to give up but would still maybe want him for his scoring ability. So that's where the Clippers come into play. Maybe the Mavs. You know, just another punch that wouldn't cost anything kind of teams. Uh, the, I guess his old team in the Hornets, uh, the Raptors, if they hang around. The Raptors back in the plan consideration now at 14 and 15. Those kind of teams all make sense, but Lamb isn't good enough that there's any like awesome fit. He would just be like a team that has a but like the Nuggets who have all these guard injuries. It's like they could actually use him and play him every game and wouldn't have to give up much to get him. That seems like a more natural fit. In the center positions, the first two teams I came up with were the same for both, and that's the Hornets and the Warriors. The Hornets have been just one of the worst center rotation teams for so long now. It's so painful. Uh, my excuse me, I almost said Miles Plumley, Mason Plumley has some capabilities as a rebounder and passer and screener type, but is just so, so atrocious on defense and doesn't have the ball a lot for this this uh, Hornets team that kind of plays a perimeter style and really runs in transition. So they have ways that they can be good that doesn't need him to be good. But imagine how good they could be if either they had a good passing big again with the stuff they're already trying to do offensively or they actually had a reliable defensive anchor in Turner holding it down behind for all those guys because they get nothing defensively from from Plumlee right now and I think Sabonis could actually defend decently in their system but where it's really low but I think Turner is obviously the better defender for any system so great fits there Golden State Sabonis obviously would be great connective tissue for their many good offensive weapons and Turner would not require the ball as much which could let Steph or Clay or Draymond or Wiggins or Poole or whoever do their thing while he would improve their already league leading defense that seems like a little bit more natural fit there but they both Seem like they would be excellent fits on that Warriors team. Then to split it up a little based on their skill sets, one Sabonis team, two Sabonis teams I like. One is the Spurs, actually. They're not that great. They're always hanging around the plan because Greg Popovich is brilliant for that building team. And and they have Jakob Pertl inside. He can play some defense and do some stuff, but I think Sabonis is way better than Pertl, obviously, and they have not really had a solid front court player who can be the screen creator pass type for them. Uh, to help connect some of their young dudes and guards as well. I think he could be good for them in that way. Uh, and he would fit really nicely with Popovich and, and kind of the way they play. I like that one. And the Celtics I like for Sabonis as well as a way to free up some room for Tatum and Brown and even relieve some pressure from them. You know, they, they've been successful with, when Horford is really good. Uh, I think that Sabonis can give them an interesting extra dimension as well. My extra team for Turner that is not on the Sabonis list is Minnesota. Man, he would be a good fit next to Carl Anthony Towns. We can see that Turner this year and last year has approved that attacking defenses that have bent. He's got the shot fake and drive stuff now. And then they can make the fat that <laughs> they can make cat defend, not dat defend. Uh, they can make Carl Anthony Towns defend more naturally while Turner protects the paint for them, improve their defense a little bit, would give them another shooting element. So those teams make sense for you for all those guys. There are many more. I mean, Turner and Levert, really any team they'd kind of fit on. And Sabonis, most teams he would fit on. And Lamb. Just think of any contending team who might be willing to spend like a very minor thing to upgrade their roster slightly. Zachary Barnett, I've been on his podcast before, at Z Barnett NBA, says, of all your interactions with players and coaches, who is your favorite to talk with? Wowie, that's a good question. I always got good stuff from Thad Young. I really like talking to Thad. I used to to like talking to Gogo when we got to talk to him a lot more. Like in the locker room, when we could talk to whoever we wanted after every game, those two guys are always reliable for what you're looking for now in the Zoom era and when I can only really request specific dudes at practice more specifically, you get really insightful stuff from Brogdon after wins and at practices. You know, he's always thinking about the future of the team and what's really going on. And he communicates with everybody, especially more this year now that he's become 
a better leader. So Brogdon is one I enjoy. After losses, he's a little more succinct and uh, thinking about the game and looking at the stat sheet and stuff, and his answers are more abbreviated. Justin Holiday is a very good quote, but on the journalism side of things, he talks very fast. So I have to run his quote back a few times uh, before or play it on like half speed to transcribe it, and that always takes a little longer. So I like what he says, and the things he says are always insightful, but it takes an extra step. Jakar Sampson was always a great quote last year. Uh, I like O'Shea this year. I mean, no one's really bad on this team. I'm not going to lie. This is a pretty good quote team. Like last year, there were a few bad quote guys who were no longer a part of the team, but this year, no matter who's up there, basically, everyone's going to be good. Duarte's English isn't perfect, so his quotes aren't aren't flawless yet, and Sabonis usually is pretty abbreviated. But in general, this season, pretty good in general. Guys who will answer what you're asking or at least show enough emotion in their answer to you understand what they're saying. Let's take a break and then get to three more. We got lots of more questions about a variety of topics to get to today. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at Truebill because did you know that free trials renew often without your consent? It is a business scam that is out to get you. Stop letting greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take advantage of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it super simple. Link your accounts. Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions. You don't have to. They've saved 2 million users over $100 million so far. Don't fall off for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Let's keep going. Chugging through these questions. I love these mailbag type of shows when I get to really dive into what you guys are wanting to know and ask about. Let's go to Rob Thompson at Robbie Thompson, too. He says, are the Pacers players frustrated from the front office's trade talk the other week? Are they just good with it? Well, no player is like, yeah, awesome. I might have to move and be on another team and get reacclimated and have all this really annoying stuff happen. You know, when guys request a trade, it's, it's either for basketball or market reasons. Uh, and no, no one on the Pacers has done that. Um, so they, they, you know, they're not like thrilled to hear that, that trade talks could be happening. But I will say, you know, we heard about the meeting between Carlisle and Pritchard and Brogdon, Levert, Turner, Sabonis, where they said, hey, we, you know, we're thinking about the direction of our franchise and, you know, names will be brought up and there could be some changes, blah, blah, blah. And the Pacers historically have been very good about that, very good about getting ahead of this stuff. Like a lot of teams you hear, this question gets asked all the time to players, right? How'd you find out you got traded, right? And, and you know, Karis Levert like wakes up from a nap to his GM calling him and stuff. And, you know, you hear stories like that all the time, whereas the Pacers really like to get ahead of it and say, hey, you are in trade talks right now, right? And and that's not like so unique. I, I know other teams do that, but they like to get ahead of it really far in advance, not to just like advance talks kind of situations. I don't think anyone's uncomfortable. It's part of the business. This team's kind of stunk the last two years, you know, under 500 for the second year in a row. They're not stupid. They understand how the NBA works. So one, I think in general, because the Pacers get ahead of it and they understand it's a business, no one's f- frustrated uh, with it or anything like that. They're just, they just roll with the punches. You know, Miles Turner joked with Indy stars, James Boyd and said, I've been trade talks basically every day. And he's kind of right. Right. So he's used to it. Levert says he likes it, uh, which, you know, I want to ask him a little more about that if we get an opportunity in the future, but he was always in trade talks when he was back with the Nets and 
Brogdon can't be traded and everybody else on the, you know, with the second unit who actually could be in talks has either been traded before or like isn't around the team that much right now. So uh, I, I think everybody's fine with it. You know, it's just part of the business and how how the game kind of works. So I, I don't think anyone is really frustrated with that. It's just how it is. Uh, Chris, Chris Drubert says, is this a good little team? Great question, Chris. According to Herb Simon, yes, this is a good little team. Uh, he likes his little team, as he said specifically. And for those looking for more info on Herb Simon uh, and what he had to say to me last week, my piece is finally up about it on Forbes, if you want to check out what Herb had to say. Uh, and why it took me four days to write it is because I wrote a whole other piece about the meeting, basically talking about Herb and his quote about trusting his decision makers, but also having his own opinions about what the Pacers should do. But I didn't think it mixed like the fan element and the team direction element in enough. So I scrapped it and started over. I've never done that before. Like I've changed directions, ironic phrasing, in an article before, but I've never completely gotten rid of what I did and done something else. Um, so yeah, if you want to read about Herb Simon and how he thinks the Pacers should proceed tactically in the team building process, check that out over on Forbes to so hear what he had to say about this team. AJ Reese with his usual three. Oh, I didn't say uh, Chris is at. It's at CR Drubert. If you're looking, I say the ats so you guys can follow these people on Twitter because they're always talking Pacers. People who supply questions are always at, interacting on Pacers Twitter. AJ Reese at AJ Reese NBA with his usual three bulleted question cues for this mailbag stuff. His first question is What has been the highest and lowest point so far this season from your point of view? That is a good one. You know, when I, when I thought about this one before I started, you know, something that came to mind when I was thinking about the highest point, I immediately went to the Bulls game uh, because that's the best I think the Pacers have looked against a good team all season. They destroyed the Bulls. I mean, that game wasn't even close. And I know some guys were out for Chicago, but even and their schedule was like insane leading up to that game. But I mean, they just destroyed them. That was a complete drubbing. I think beating uh, Carlisle's old team, the Mavs game, beating a team with Luka and handily beating them, that was a pretty high point for this team that put them on a three-game win streak, added some some vibage to this squad. Uh, the Jazz win was obviously huge. Second night of a back-to-back against a talented team. Uh, I have various opinions on the on the low point, though. You know, there are a lot of games you could go to. You know, getting smoked by the Bucks a few times always pops up. Losing the close game in Minnesota was pretty painful. Early season, the first two losses back-to-back were really painful. The Warriors' loss was really painful. Losing to the Bucks with nobody playing was really painful. There are a lot. Mine is still... I they got smoked by the Heat with a ton of guys out for Miami, right? And I don't I don't want to really say they played well in that game. In fact, they played pretty bad that game. But that's actually not what I think their worst performance of the season was. I'm trying to pull up the date of that Pacers game, but I think their worst performance of the season was their the game they played against Toronto and like their fifth or sixth game in Toronto. That I think is the worst I think they've looked in a game. They lost 118 to 100, which isn't so bad. They've had like a similar spreads, but they looked awful that game that was the first game of the season that game dropped them to one and five i believe one and four uh their leading score at 18 that game they just looked completely awful isaiah jackson got hurt that was the first game you know because before that they had lost by one by one and to the reigning champs right so when they were one and three i kind of thought whatever when they got smoked by toronto and looked awful that's kind of the game where i thought okay this team might be a little worse than i thought they'd be this year and even since then, all their losses, basically all of their losses have either been close or expected outside of the Heat game with a bunch of dudes out, uh, the Milwaukee game with a bunch of dudes out, and losing in Detroit. But that game, I think, was the low point for me. It was only the fourth game of the season. Uh, but all the rest, none of them have felt so egregious to me or like ridiculous. The low points come when 
you know, they lose four in a row and the fourth one is to a team they should beat and they lose by two in that stretch and lose by three in that stretch, right? That week was really a low point. Um, but I think their highest point for me would be beating Chicago. They they handled the Bulls. I mean, that wasn't even close. So that, that's got to be a good one. That team is still very high up in the conference standings. They beat the Sixers pretty easily. They beat the Jazz. I mean, that, that stretch of games in general is pretty solid. So they've had a few high and low points this season. The roller coaster mantra is perfect. They've had a ton of highs and a ton of lows. That's what a roller coaster is. Um, I have a feeling their highest point is yet to come, but their lowest point has already passed. But that is just a hunch. But I, you know, I just feel like basically since December started, I feel like they've been playing better in general despite some ugly losses. So hopefully they can continue that as the month goes on because Lord knows this team needs to connect with its fans and, and get someone's question two from AJ was, what's on your Pacers Christmas list? <laughs> Knocking on wood, as you can hear, hopefully. My Pacers Christmas list is no crazy big news, please. For a week, two weeks ago, we got the Athletics saying the Pacers are trending towards a rebuild, and now all the talk about the team has nothing to do with actual basketball games. It's about trades, and that stuff's important. There's going to be roster moves coming up in probably two weeks for a lot of these NBA teams because the league-wide cutdown date is sneakily pretty close, and trade season really heats up about a month from now on about January 15th. So, yeah, that's going to be it. There's a time and place for that in the season. But then right after that, Miles Turner goes on the record and talks about potentially wanting a bigger role somewhere and how that impacts the team, and then just a few days after that, Herb Simon speaks on the record, and there's just always been something coming at this team, and TJ McConnell's hurt, and Rick Carlisle has COVID, and Justin Holiday has COVID, and holy cow, it, there's a lot of non-basketball stuff, and they cut a two-way guy, and they signed a different one. A lot of stuff happened these last couple weeks. Christmas is in six days. This four days off has been refreshing because, one, there's been no Pacers news, basically. They practiced on Sunday, and that's all we've heard from this team, but my Christmas wish is that you know, they play well enough against the Heat and Rockets that... When Christmas rolls around, the talk about the Pacers is just they're playing decent right now. Let's see if they can keep that up for the rest of the month and into January. And even if they split in these next two games, I think that will be the talk. And keeping up with AJ's Christmas team, his final question is, favorite Christmas movie? Not a big movie guy in general. No offense to Christmas here. I've seen White Christmas at least two times this year, so that might have to be my answer. Um, the Grinch version that has the Tower of the Creator soundtrack is pretty good. Not a big Christmas movie guy in general, though. Uh, so I have to go with White Christmas. It's a great movie. But that's a horrible answer to your question. I wish I had more insightful. Oh, I like Charlie Brown Christmas a lot. Maybe I'll include that in, the, in this. That would be my my top three most likely is um, the newest Grinch, the newest Grinch, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas and White Christmas with White Christmas taking it. I love non-basketball questions for a few in this show. Let's do the final three questions I got, but let's take one more break first before we do that. And let's talk about two awesome groups of people. First up, the good folks over at Built Bar who are making the best-tasting protein bars ever. They're 100% covered in chocolate protein bars that are delicious and great for the health-conscious guy. Low in calories, low in sugar, low in net carbs, and low in fat, but high in protein. Best of both worlds. Delicious and healthy. So many good flavors. It's insane. The peanut butter brownie is super good. Cookies and cream is super good. We give you that extra fuel you'll need this holiday season is you've got a lot a lot going on or a lot to do or busy at work. Whatever you got, it'll help you. It can be a great meal replacement, a great snack, whatever you want to do. And there's so many good flavors make it variable and fun and exciting. You got to try them. You just got to try them. Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order of Built Bars. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 or 15% off at built.com. Let's also talk about Bet Online, who have you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Huge win for the Colts. 
this weekend against the Patriots. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head over to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked on to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't want to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Locked on, all one word, to receive your bonus at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every day. Let's close out with three more questions. And of course, two of them are going to be about Turbonus today. Young Simba at Young Simba 2000 says, Do you think it's realistic to think the Pacers can end up as a top six seed? The schedule looks so much easier towards the end of the season, and with teams like New York, Boston, Toronto, and Atlanta struggling, I think it's somewhat possible. So, if you just don't look at the standings and ask any Pacers fan that, they're going to say no, 100%. This team is in 13th. They're 13 and 18. How can they get out of the plan? Well, the six seed right now is the Wizards, who are 500, basically, right? Like, that's the bar. To get there. And the 6 to 13 range right now. Okay, after the Pacers, it's the Magic and Pistons who have combined for 11 wins, right? No, it doesn't matter after 13. Above 6 is the Heat, who've won about 60% of their games. So I think we kind of have our demarcation tiers. So 6 to 13 right now. Wizards, Celtics, 76ers, Hornets, Raptors, Hawks, Knicks, Pacers in order. Can the Pacers finish above all those teams? I mean, they can. I mean, there's a, the, the highest-ranked team on this list is, again, the Wizards, who are one game over 500. Sure, and you know the, the, high, the best any of those teams is doing in their last 10 games is the Sixers at 5-5, five and five, right? It's not impossible that the Pacers finish this season with 44 wins and are the sixth seed, but I would say a couple of things. One, it seems like the Sixers are going to end up better than 500. They have Joel Embiid on their team. Uh, the Celtics are quietly kind of good. You know, the Hornets have sneakily had some good stretches this year and basically outside of when they were decimated by COVID have been a pretty good team this season. The Hawks should not continue to be an under 500 team, but they are right. So like you can make the argument for any of these teams that they'll turn it around and make it to the six seed. So to answer the question directly, do I think the Pacers can end up a top six seed? Actually? Yes. I mean, their schedule to start the season was really hard. I predicted they would win 41 games this year. It's not insane that they win two more games than I predict. And 43 might be enough, right? The East outside of the top five teams is not that awesome. Do I think they will? No, I don't. I think that there's so many good teams above them that all could at any moment have it click or have a really good player on their team that'll click that I don't think they will. Now, the plan, no one likes the plan. No fan of this franchise right now wants to make the plan because it doesn't matter. You know, you'd rather just have a higher pick. Can they make the plan though? I mean, they're a half game behind the Knicks, which would put them 12. They're two games out of the plan right now. The Raptors are the playing team at 14 and 15. Can they make the plan? 100%. Oh, yeah. They've been playing, they might be in a playing position by like January 3rd, right? That's not impossible at all. So the directional change they end up making this season, whatever that may be, that will influence my answer a lot. But even with the information we have right now, no, it's not crazy to me that the Pacers could get up to six. But do I think they will if I was a betting man? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would bet they don't even get to top eight. But is it possible? Yes, it is. Let's close it out with some Turbonus question. Everyone's favorite topic. John Shelley says, there's been a decent amount of talk about Turbonus being a plus in their minutes together this season. Could you talk about what, if anything, is causing their partnership to be more fruitful this year versus in the past? Why, yes, I would love to. I would love to do a whole segment on this at some point in the future. Okay, so 2019-20, the first year Turbonus started together. Those two on the court at the same time were a plus 1.94. Pretty good. Pretty good. Not bad. 
plus 4.93 with Sabonis on, Turner off that year. Minus 1.68 with Turner on, Sabonis off that year. So they were a really good Sabonis team that year. A little worse with Turner in. The next year, 2020-21, with both of them on the court, minus 2.6. Oof, that's a lot of minutes. With Sabonis on and no Turner in the Bjorken year, minus 1.9. Sabonis did not fit Bjorken ball at all. Meanwhile, Turner killed it in Bjorken ball, plus 10.45 with Turner on and Sabonis off in Bjorken ball. So... The last two seasons before this, with two different coaches, one year, the solo Sabonis minutes were the best. Last year, the solo Turner minutes were the best. And this year, the duo minutes with both of them on are the best. It makes no sense, but it is a big deal because that kind of shows you the influence coaching can have on a pairing like this. Do I think they'll settle out as high as they are right now? No. Right now, they are a plus eight points per 100 possession net rating. That's insane. They are that good. The starting five has actually been very good for the Pacers this year. I think that a lot of their sloppy stretches are with at least one or two bench players in the game. Their bench has been something that's been very good for them in past seasons, has not been as good this year. I would love to do a segment on that in the future as well. But that's not the question. Sorry for all the additional info, everybody. What is driving Trebonus's big plus this year? First off, defense. Defense, defense, defense. And I know that with Turner in, their defense is usually good. 103.9 defensive rating with the pairing on the court this year. They've both been a little bit better away from the rim, I think, both Turner and Savonis. I still think Savonis is better around the rim than people give him credit for. Turner's doing an awesome – Turner's gotten a lot better at timing his, like, shadowing the guard defender kind of moments. You know, and their defense has gotten a little worse than Turner's has this year as teams have kind of figured out that if they know Turner's going to come for a block to throw high because then they can get the rebound. But those two have defended very well together. And then, you know – the, the Pacers have actually shot pretty bad with both of them in the game. 31.8% with both on the court. Like, if that number's at 34%, they might be a plus 10 per 100 possessions. I mean, it's crazy how low that is, but 57.1% from two-point range. Extremely good with the duo on the court. Uh, and they just get really good shots. Their rim or three-point frequency, right? So the best places to be shooting from with turn bonus on the court, 70.6%. Close two-point shots. Average distance is 6.8 feet. Right, 30% of their shots are at the rim uh, with those two. Right, So they're just getting the right shots. They're able to with those two in the game. They've got Turner spaced out the right ways. Sabonis can create shots at the rim. We've known that for forever. They've just got it kind of optimized more offensively this year than any other year. And some of that is because they've added a little more versatility to Turner. Some of that is because they actually have the more appropriate pieces around them and not just injured guys or guys learning how to play with them. So those are the big stats to me is that they're defending really well, they're shooting from the right spots, and they're making their shots around the basket really well. And, of course, let's end with one more. It's a bonus question. Why not? We've already talked about their trades and their fit. Coach J Pacers at Coach J Pacers. Uh, John, who asked the last question, was at Shelly L-E-Y. Um, Coach J Pacers says, which would be harder to replace, Sabonis' offense or Turner's defense? Uh, when I originally read that question, I just kind of shrugged. I just kind of shrugged. That's a bad answer. I'm never going to shrug. I don't want to be that guy, but it's hard to say. Um, I think there was a he put a poll up on his own Twitter account I saw, and I think the overwhelming winner of the vote was Turner's defense. Um, and Turner is certainly, certainly one of the best defenders in the league. But I th- it's hard to explain this thought, and I'm going to do a terrible job, but like, I think that, that high-impact offense is a little more valuable to a team than high-impact defense. Not that... Not that either are invaluable, but you know, like, like just to use an advanced stat, like BPM is split up into offense and defense. And Sabonis's offensive BPM is three point four, and Sabonis Aaron Turner's defensive BPM is one point one. Right? Those are both p- plus numbers. 
They both have BPMs well over two this season, which is good. They're both playing well. So like, like in a vacuum, if you completely rate, you know, high impact defense and high impact offense equally, right? Then you'd probably say Turner because Turner is a better, I think Turner's a better defender than Sabonis is an offensive player. But I I personally value high impact offense and the, and the effect it has on a successful team a lot more than high impact defense. So I choose replacing Sabonis's offense to be harder. He has a unique skill set. He's very connective for the other players and allows a lot of the other players on the Pacers to be successful. Not that Turner's defense is easy to replace. In fact, right now, if they traded him for a non-center, you know, Sabonis would be a more natural fitting position for him defensively a lot of the time, but we've seen for years and years where his struggles are defensively with his foot speed and timing and ability to be in the right position. So they'd certainly lose a lot losing either. Right. And, and I don't want to belittle either player. I actually, I thought about this question for a long time, right? I'm not saying I'm very, very strongly in favor of picking Sabonis' offenses here. You know, there's a compelling argument for both, but I think the answer is Sabonis' offense because I value high-impact offense a little bit more than high-impact defense. But that is not to say that they would not be losing a ton by losing either guy on both ends of the floor. Thank you guys so much for your questions. Glad to have four days off to be able to do something like this instead of just, oh, a game is tomorrow. Oh, a game is today. Oh, let's talk about this player. You know, I love doing that stuff, but I like to mix it up and see what the fan base is kind of thinking about as the season trudges on. So we'll be back tomorrow. Special guest Taylor Tannebaum from WTHR is going to join us to talk Pacers how they're playing, how important their upcoming stretches, things like that as the season progresses. And they play the Heat tomorrow, so talking Heat Wednesday. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Hope you enjoy this week leading up into the holiday weekend. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.